Hello, and welcome back to Into the Aether. It's still a low-key video game podcast, despite our every effort. <laughs> My name is Brendan Bigley. I'm Stephen Hilger. We have a lot of things to talk about this week. Yeah. It feels like we haven't recorded in a while, but we did record so much last week. Yeah. Uh, oh, at the time of this recording, I think the Final Fantasy VII stuff is out, right? The bonus for everyone is out, and the Advent Children commentary watch-along is out. So That was so fun. Get your Blu-rays ready. Yeah, spoiler alert, we both loved Advent Children, <laughs> which I think was the biggest jump scare of this year uh <laughs> it, it was a lot of fun i think that's something we we will probably do again in some way like a commentary patron bonus for for the mask i love the movie the mask <laughs> <laughs> i was about to say i love the movies that somehow entered the show like so far it's literally been cats and advent children and advent children <laughs> That's film. That's cinema. That's all cinema is. It's cats yeah. and advent children, and that's the that's the spectrum between which all movies exist. There's been a gaggle of warlocks in the Discord that are trying to summon a spirits within patron bonus uh, from us, and I think they might be successful. I do want to watch that, uh, and and if you listen to the entirety of this episode, you'll figure out why I want to watch that. Um, <laughs> because I'm going to be talking about some stuff later. Uh, but yeah. Also, that movie was written and directed by Hironobu Sakaguchi, who is like the creator of Final Fantasy. Yes. And that's the only one that he wrote and directed. And I'm so curious to revisit that because I did watch I it saw years it. and years ago. Yeah, I, I don't remember a lick of it. Yeah, I saw it in theaters. I was so excited. I had there was like a mention of it in a game magazine and I cut out the page and taped it to my wall. Oh, really? And never have I been more disappointed. I don't even remember like what it was about, but yeah. I think I, I I think I was young enough that I expected it to be like an FF7 movie mm -hmm. and it was very much starring Alec Baldwin and Steve Buscemi and, <laughs> and a digital actress they were trying to make like a thing. Right. Um, yeah. Which like, is like a hot and a miku kind of thing yes exactly yeah uh, we did we did learn in our uh scant research about it after watching advent children and thinking about other final fantasy movies we did learn that roger ebert was a big fan of spirits he loved it yeah which is fascinating his early thousands era was really wild like he loved the movie michael with john travolta like i feel like he just <laughs> like he just really craved genre at a certain point in his career and i get that i appreciate that especially for a critic of his caliber i think he often went to bat for movies that were snubbed by other critics but mm -hmm. like at a certain point it's like dude you love spawn like what's happening like what what <laughs> happened to your taste i think at a certain point genre comes for us all you know yeah eventually like I, I went and sat down and watched glass onion the new like knives out sequel uh, oh in th cool in theaters the other day and uh i mean that movie is not like great but it is so fun like yeah. it is a blast to watch i really enjoyed knives out yeah it was a lot of fun as well uh i i am i too am a sucker for genre as it turns out which actually yeah. maybe leads into the game we're about to talk about oh, really yeah. well speaking of early 2000s genre snubbing absolutely spawn the movie <laughs> we have both been playing marvel's midnight suns yeah can i do my disclaimer i work for marvel entertainment everything i say and do does not reflect the views of my employer i have no well, actually, that's a lie about this one. I do have inside information about this. This is the uh, I will say this and I can't say anything else about it, but this is the first and really only game I've seen from like pitch process all the way through release. It was it's been a fascinating ride to like know that this game existed for years uh, and yeah. see it come out and play it and be like, it's like the, the closest I've ever been to inside baseball in, in terms of like knowing about a game in its infancy. Yeah. Um, and uh, I've been looking forward to it for a long time. It just seemed like I remember seeing the original pitch and thinking to myself, nobody said this directly, just to be clear. So don't report on this. But like 
I just remember thinking to myself when I first heard about it, it sounds like they loved Fire Emblem Three Houses. <laughs> uh, yeah. And I mean, that's what the game is, is what it feels like. It's like it's, it's by Firaxis, which is worth mentioning. Firaxis, the makers of XCOM, but also like Civilization. Yeah. And they're, they're just like hit machines for Axis. I feel like I, I don't know of any game that they release that is bad. So I, I had pretty high hopes for this. Like even even though I think as you and I said about Marvel Snap, it's like easy to kind of write it off as like, OK, here's this like kind of big IP slapped onto like, a you know, in, in this case, like a strategy card game, which is fascinating. Yeah, that feels like XCOM, but you're like drawing cards instead of like choosing from, you know, a, a selection of, of abilities. But it is great, as it turns out. Uh, it's got some flaws, definitely, early on, which I think you wanted to talk about. Uh, yeah. But the more of this game I play, the more sucked into it I get, which I've been really surprised by. Because I, I remember when the reviews came out, reading a lot of them, there's this huge disconnect I found between a lot of reviewers where some of them are like, the writing is great, and some of them are like, I don't like the writing at all. But everyone is praising the strategy card game stuff like everyone loves the XCOM but you're you're playing with a deck of cards idea it's really good that's the reason to play it I would say overall at least so far it's worth noting I'm also very early on like I started this game today at the time of this recording yeah like a couple hours ago so I feel like I basically have played through like right when the game kind of takes his hands off and lets you do whatever yeah because the three houses connection is that there's essentially this like strange magical dormitory in salem massachusetts that is like your home base Mm -hmm. and in between missions you can like talk to characters and there's like a friendship meter i saw i lost my shit when i just saw like plus one heart to stephen strange i'm like (laughs) this is unbelievable and i can see myself enjoying that even if it's not like necessarily like great characterization or writing like it's just fun to have that kind of home base Mm -hmm. and i think what really sums up my full thoughts both positive and more constructive are that this game really really feels like a pre-mcu marvel production yeah like it feels like marvel ultimate alliance in the best and worst ways possible i was gonna say that yeah it for me this is a huge compliment but it feels like an xbox 360 ps3 era video game it does and i love that about it yeah (laughs) (laughs) which to be fair like honestly I feel that way about most Firaxis stuff like that kind of is part of their brand to me a little bit is is this this like you know mid 2000s era video game of it all yeah but I I had a thought I don't know like five hours in that if this game had come out when I was in high school it is the only thing I would have played would change my personality irrevocably like yeah. I would be a completely different person if this game had come out when I was like 16 <laughs> yeah this it, it feels like a game that everyone would rent over and over and over again <laughs> right yeah and it's interesting because I feel like yeah like when you play this game like you'll notice immediately like the character animations are kind of like a little bit off there's a little bit of like oblivion energy to like mm-hmm. every, which you know you and I love that <laughs> it reminds me though I, I have a couple friends uh Brendan and Zoe for listening hello uh but they're like my my Virgils into the board game world like mm-hmm. whenever we hang out they show me a new board game and uh Basically, like I've gone to also there's a lot of cool like board game spots in Chicago and we've gone to like, uh, you know, these places that just have like, you know, 
Stephen Strange-esque libraries of yeah. board games on the wall. And it's it's like, I don't know why, but always like the most critically acclaimed like board game for board game fans is always like the art is always a little off. Mm-hmm. And that's how you know it's good almost where it's yeah. like if it's like a slightly anatomically incorrect Dutch trader like holding a bag of jewels and it's like <laughs> this game fucking rocks. Like, <laughs> you know, it's, like, it's, it's just so funny because like there are games like Root where it's like, oh, this is so immediately gripping thing and like the art is beautiful and, yeah like, that game is also great but it's kind of funny where it's like it's it's almost a sign of confidence if the cover looks like shit and this game weirdly has that too where i feel like they just know the gameplay rules they don't really care about how the characters look i know that's probably not the mindset but that's like i, I think there's a lot of confidence when like you could tell what they focused on which mm-hmm. is cool to see yeah but yeah i mean i was worried for most of this playthrough of how I would feel about this. Like there, there were periods where I was like, I don't know if we could like, cause you know, if you listen to the show, you know that we only bring to the show games we're enjoying. And like, yeah, that's a pretty wide spectrum. Sometimes it's like games we absolutely adore. Sometimes it's games that we like, but you know, maybe like there are things holding it back, but there's enough to talk about that. We bring it anyway. This game is like still kind of right on the fence for me. Uh, but I do think that there's enough to really like about the gameplay that I felt confident bringing it. And I also figured we'd have, a lot of fun talking about it so it's like this is a good candidate yeah i think you are you are in the early throes of this game and i implore you steven to play a couple more hours of it and come back and talk about it again because it 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 becomes so extremely the shit that you and i adore uh and that's why i've been dumping time into it because it so on like the very very surface level you have you know the the three houses of it all which is the combat phase and then the hanging out at the abbey phase and the way it works is every single day just like in three houses where you have like a kind of meter of amount of tasks that you can do around the monastery throughout the day in midnight suns you have essentially like you do one combat mission per day and then you need to like choose who you're going to hang out with at night but before you go and do that combat mission there's like all this prep work that you can do where you like go check in at the forge and see what iron man is working on and then you go and like talk to captain marvel who's like working with bruce banner on some stuff like satellite related and you go and talk to you know the the actual midnight suns themselves which are kind of like these outcast almost like c-list marvel characters um who have all you know through some kind of like mystic magic stuff have decided to team up to take down this threat and you can like hang out with them by the pool or go fishing with them or like literally just go on a walk with them through the woods which brings up like bioware-esque dialogue options which will increase or decrease your friendship with them and also change your alignment on like a dark or light path (laughs) it's just like i feel like the more i play this game the more they hit me with more of these mechanics yeah at first i thought it was really overwhelming for like the first couple hours because like the combat is a whole other thing that i want to talk about eventually but but this this like relationship building aspect is so important and so integral to the game and i feel like the first couple hours because they're kind of like railroading you through it and not giving you a lot of freedom it feels feels more limited than it is but it also at sometimes feels too open like the first time they take you to the abbey and they're like okay you can run around the abbey like it's a huge place and there's yeah. so much stuff you're doing you're like picking up mushrooms and stuff and like you don't even know what that means yet because they're not going to explain that for like another two hours like there's this weird dichotomy between how open and how how railroaded the experience is but once you know what everything is once you get to the point where like there is a text box like a tutorial text box it's like you can now spend your days doing whatever the hell you want at that point, the game becomes like 
pure elation because it's like, oh, <laughs> you know, I'm going and doing this mission where like me and Spider-Man are going to go disable a helicopter so it can't escape with a bunch of Hydra operatives. And then I'm going to go back and I'm going to convince Blade that he should be open about his feelings, that he has a crush <laughs> on Captain Marvel. And then I'm going to go hang out at the pool with Iron Man. Uh <laughs> So we can try and figure out how to convince Spider-Man to take off his mask when he's at home. With a lot of Marvel stuff for games specifically, we've been kind of spoiled with like sort of like top of the line quality. Like Marvel Spider-Man is not only like a beautiful game that's super fun to play, but I think that's also one of my favorite Spider-Man stories like ever. Like I I love and Miles Morales as well. Um, And then stuff like uh, the Guardians game was like an incredible story that had storytelling like pathways and choices that i i honestly think whatever the new mass effect is can learn from Mm -hmm. and i think also just regardless of your feelings on the mcu i think the past two decades have taken you know for better or for worse have taken like this material of work and kind of made it sort of like a mainstream like a tier blockbuster in terms of like budget and like yeah quality and it's easy to forget that this stuff used to be like kind of you know pulpy Mm -hmm. and uh, you know i have issues with this game's writing i feel like there is a lot of the classic like oh that was weird and like yeah there's an undercurrent of how do you do fellow kids energy like whenever like because whenever they introduce a character they give like a scott pilgrim like bio of them like yeah iron man like famouser than you oh and then they describe someone as so flirking cool and i was that's when i was like i don't know if i can bring this to the show yeah (laughs) but i think you're right like the combat i've never really played XCOM, so i don't know like how different it is but i kind of immediately enjoyed the way the heroes play distinctly from each other like early on you play as iron man and and dr strange and like dr strange can like use the environment in more creative ways so like there might be like loose rocks or like weird like debris that he can throw at enemies and and there's a lot of like crowd control and enemy placement like knocking enemies into each other with him iron man kind of plays as you expect he he has like sort of aoes and he can blast enemies and all that's like really cool and really gripping and i think it's it's cool to see a turn-based strategy game not be confined to grids which i've enjoyed because i'm so used to like not that grids are bad but i'm very much trained to expect the fire emblem or advanced wars approach where it's like everything is kind of in boxes and this sort of has like a open sort of like god of war plane where like there is still math of like areas of effect and stuff but it feels kind of looser and like you're sort of directing the scene yeah in a fun way yeah positioning isn't as important at least in the early hours um as it is in most strategy combat games like this you know especially things like fire emblem that are grid based but i'm thinking even in the realm of like the new mario plus rabbits which gets rid of grids and allows you to like move around kind of wherever you want yeah um, this game is kind of taking that approach more where positioning becomes important is if you are trying to like for example kick a box uh you know like a big kind of crate or like a a barrel or something into an enemy that's far away you need to be positioned in the right way so you can like get that angle right so you're you know uh positioned i guess uh, across from that enemy um so there are things like that there are enemies later on which can start to use the environmental hazards against you so like if your character is next to you know a, a big like electrical grid they can kick you into it and then stun you and that gets really interesting later on but i i appreciate that that kind of gets doled out where they they teach you a lot about how you should be using 
using that stuff to your advantage. And then eventually they're like, okay, now we've turned the tables on you and now you need to worry about that yourself. And and by that point, I think is when the game starts to get really interesting uh, because you have so many characters at your disposal. And the big thing, I, I've mentioned it a couple times, but the big thing is that it's like a deck builder also simultaneously. So the way it works is each of the characters that you're coming in with have, a, have eight cards, which are a bunch of abilities, like different kinds of abilities. So as you said, like Iron Man has the ability to like kind of stand far back and shoot a beam which will like knock an enemy backwards or you know into something but blade for example uh has the ability to like you know use his daggers to kind of jump between enemies and like stab them one by one and you can chain a bunch of enemies together ghost rider is one of the people on the team and he can use his uh his chains to like whip a hole into the ground he'll like he'll like go and and throw his chains into the asphalt and then rip it up and create a portal to hell that you can then use other uh other people on your team to use their knockback abilities to knock them into that portal to hell and they die immediately things like that like once you start to figure out the synergies between characters and who you should bring in for what kinds of uh encounters the game starts to like really open up and then you also start to figure out you know uh okay i i want to build like this kind of deck for this kind of encounter specifically so like i need to bring these three people and i need to shuffle up their decks specifically so i have like a better chance of pulling these kinds of abilities in these kinds of ways uh which is very cool i also like the way they deal with mana which is not called mana it's called heroic points uh, or heroism points i think but the way mana works is you're you're essentially given an amount of cards that you can play per turn um i think it's usually three until you start to get further in the game and then they increase it or like certain cards will increase it but generally speaking there are a lot of cards that will just build up your heroism points and they don't cost anything to play they don't cost any heroism points to play so they're like free to play technically but you uh, you build up this heroism meter and when you build up the heroism meter enough you can then expend that currency in game to like use these bigger abilities so like iron man launches himself into the air and hits every enemy at once or uh dr strange will like summon a giant axe which will like you know do a shitload of damage and also knock somebody back and also you know maybe draw more cards or something or or blade will be able to like suck all of the health that he's like taking out of an enemy for example because he's part vampire things like that uh that's where the game gets like really really wild and like really cinematic and really fun and what i what i appreciate about this game is its ability to take these i I feel like this is kind of a big sticking point with me in a lot of games that involve superheroes but they're able to take them and make them feel really powerful and really strong and not hold back at all and i think that's partially because it's a turn-based game i I feel like in a lot of other games where you're playing as like super heroic characters it's hard to be like oh i'm playing as the strongest thing on earth but for some reason all of these enemies are able to like with stand my hits (laughs) yeah not only do they have kind of a narrative version of why that why some characters have more health than others in this game but there are a lot of just like grunts on the field and if you hit them at all they just die immediately and i love that so much like i love the fact that they're just constantly swarming the area with all of these like low-level grunts who can like shoot you with a gun and hurt you definitely with bullets you know like some of these characters are not like invincible uh so if they're getting hit with guns they're gonna be like ow that sucks but also if if you're you know captain marvel and you've gone binary which is essentially like going super saiyan and you punch a guy and he had he doesn't even have a health bar he just dies immediately <laughs> and that's the best feeling in the world yeah i think 
think it was an interesting choice to give some enemies health because it also makes you have to prioritize who to attack in an interesting way because like if you ignore the grunts they can overwhelm you right uh even exactly. still and you'll have different objectives as well because sometimes it will be like get rid of all the enemies and other times it'll be like get rid of this specific boss yeah. so like the, the last fight i did was against fallen venom mm-hmm. uh and that was a really tough fight and venom was like able to actually like i think blade even had a line like that actually hurt because like he was just yeah. really going after blade for some reason and like <laughs> and venom has the ability to sort of like root someone in place mm-hmm. the combat is great and and it's like really i mean these are the people that make XCOM and civilization so like yeah that was going to be good uh, regardless i am curious to see how the dormitory stuff opens up because i'm like right at the beginning of that the other thing too which is kind of bizarre is like the game opens with two like tutorial missions with Tony Stark and Doctor Strange, Stephen Strange, unfortunately, uh, and then uh, with Captain Marvel as well. Yeah, and then you make your character, mm-hmm. uh, you make your Shepherd, and this game's approach at the player character is so bizarre, and I'm kind of obsessed with it because, like, uh, essentially the main plot is like hydra has has resurrected lilith who's like a demon essentially Mm -hmm. i have no idea and basically dr strange has attempted to resurrect like the cosmic opposite of lilith who is you yeah so you're this chosen one who has been like dead or asleep for thousands of years and like you talk as if you're from an elder scrolls game so like my recommendation honestly if you're picking this up skip everything until you make your character (laughs) because opening this game with just this person with like armor and a sword walking out of the crypt and blade just hanging out by the door is so funny yeah like this being the welcome committee yeah (laughs) yeah exactly the game didn't really feel like what it was going to be until you make your character yeah i I feel like we talk we talk a lot always i guess uh, about judging games on their intention and i feel like the intention of this game is not to have you hanging out with iron man and and doctor strange and captain marvel as much as it is hanging out with blade and nico and magic and like the kind of more like I don't know. I, I would just say like the more like left field Marvel characters. Yeah. Um, and and having you be like multi thousand year old warrior who's been resurrected and doesn't know anything about the modern world is so fascinating to me. And and the ways in which you interact with those characters is so fun. Like you can go on a date with Iron Man if you want. But <laughs> I'm always more interested in going and hanging out with Nico from the Runaways, for example. Uh, I, yeah. I should also mention some of the voice acting in this game is really great. Like Nico is played by Lyric. Okano who played her in the Runaways TV show oh, and is cool. like great um, yeah. Spider-Man is played by the same guy who played him in the PS5 game like they have some like really great voice acting Blade's voice acting is so fucking good in this game Blade steals the show honestly Blade does steal like, the show I, yeah. I had a moment early on when, when I knew that you were going to love this game where I was just walking through the abbey and Blade just went Hunter the exact same way everyone <laughs> goes Shepard yeah. uh, when you walk by and I was like this is going to be Steven's favorite game of the year somehow it's also kind of funny because like as you can probably tell like i'm a little bit like my relationship with marvel stuff is kind of complicated because like i do really like it but i just i never want to be like sick of something that i like and it's so Mm. everywhere sometimes that i'm a little bit like tired but all that goes away the minute spider-man shows up like it's like i'm seeing the beatles it's like the minute (laughs) the minute spider-man appeared in this game i like giggled i was like oh okay like i still like they 
eventually get you. You can be the most like burnt out. Like I actively dislike Marvel, but there's someone in there that's going to get you. Yeah. And for me, it's all the spider people. Yeah. Yeah. Spider-Man in this game is really fun too, yeah. because he he's like actively struggling with, should I take my mask off or not for a while? Um, Cause he, he doesn't want to reveal his secret identity to anybody, but you know, eventually starts to like open up with some of the other characters and him and ghost rider become buds. Uh, <laughs> eventually you start getting invited into clubs. Like everyone in the Abbey has created clubs. So there's oh one club God. that's called the emo kids, which is like a it's bunch of literally called the emo kids. Yeah. And it's a bunch of the magic users who are essentially trying to like perform <laughs> rituals on you to get you to remember your past memories. And then there's another one that's called shop club, which is Spider-Man and ghost rider, like hanging out in the garage where ghost rider keeps his car. And they're like, yeah, we just set this up specifically because we didn't want to be hanging out with Iron Man and Doctor Strange because all they do is argue <laughs> in the forge back and forth. And it's just like bad vibes. And we just want to be like sitting here making stuff without them looking over our shoulders being like, oh, yeah, this is how you're supposed to make stuff because they're brilliant. It's like I, I want to figure it out for myself. So they make a little thing called Shop Club and you can like go in and help out with that. And in all of these cases, you like unlock new abilities, you unlock new items that you can use, you like build up your friendship meter with everyone in those clubs. But you do have to start to fire emblem adjacent like make those decisions about like which club are you going to go hang out with at night are you going to avoid all the clubs in general and you're just going to like go out on a date with somebody or are you just going to like run around the abbey in these like huge abbey grounds and just kind of explore and see like what mysteries uh are are afoot in in this space in itself which like as far as i can tell you can't avoid entirely you like you could just not explore the abbey at all like the abbey grounds and you could just hang out with people if that's really your mo i do recommend just like running around and, and seeing like the lore of the place though because it is really yeah. fascinating this is the weirdest part of marvel like marvel's universe i think to me like even the cosmic stuff has become more normalized i think by movies like guardians of the galaxy and captain marvel and it just like feels like we're going in that direction with like kang getting introduced and stuff it's like the stuff that i thought was the most outlandish is now kind of becoming the most normalized so what you're left with is this like magic side you know this like yeah. The side that is lorded over by Doctor Strange and Wanda Maximoff that is like completely unexplainable and like doesn't really have any rules. It just like is it just is spooky. And like that's kind of the energy. And that's <laughs> generally speaking, to be totally frank, like usually my least favorite side of the Marvel Universe. And this game is managing to like kind of turn me around on it where I'm like, I do want to just hang out in this like weird goth space and like. I don't know, hang out with the emo kids at night. Like that, that does sound really fun to me. You have like a demon dog uh, named Charlie yeah. that you can pet uh, and will like run around and find items for you. And she has like glowing eyes. It's great. I've been pretty, uh, I never really do this, but I, I've commonly <laughs> skipped scenes in this game and I usually try to give a role playing reason for it. So like a scene open with the player character having a bad dream. And I was like, well, most people don't remember their dreams. So I don't need to see this. <laughs> so I, I skipped it. <laughs> And then the next scene was the demon dog waking me up by licking my face. I'm like, that was a great scene that yeah. I made somehow. <laughs> it's really so funny. Yeah, all, all the main story stuff can it's fine. Like it's just sort of there. And I am, I mean, you're really selling me on the exploring this hub world idea. Like I really want to hang out with ghost Rider and like do sound garden covers with him. Like that sounds great. <laughs> uh, ghost Rider is so fun specifically the yeah. so it, it's robbie reyes uh that version of ghost rider you do see donnie blaze at the, at the top of the game just sorry johnny blaze at the top of the game i was hoping the old ghost rider was at the abbey no it's the younger one robbie reyes oh uh, okay 
you're gonna like him i'm gonna like him you're gonna like okay, him a lot cool. uh he's he's got a great vibe and he he's a fascinating character in this specifically because he is struggling with the fact that everyone really respects like ghost rider like mm. the spirit of vengeance you know when he like has the flaming skull face and stuff and no one really cares about robbie like the guy outside yeah. of that so he's kind of back and forth between this like i feel like nobody respects me but everybody cares a lot when i'm like in battle with them but like nobody talks to me or hangs out with me at the abbey which is why i was like i'm gonna focus so much on raising your friendship <laughs> meter because you seem like you really need it is he one of the emo kids no he's not oh, okay i guess yeah ghost rider maybe is like the jock of this school by comparison kind of yeah like him blade yeah. and captain marvel are like the jocks yeah that's fun yeah i might hang out with the jocks yeah I can't believe the vampire isn't amongst the emo kids. That's how that's how like magical this school is. That like the jock is the vampire. Yeah. He that's uh, so fun. I, I think you're gonna like Blade a lot. He reminds me a lot of the characters that you like love in most yeah. games. You know, he he's he's the um what's the guy's name from Final Fantasy Nine with with all the armor? Steiner. He, yeah, he's, yeah, he's like the Steiner of the crew, I think. Yeah. Which is really fun because he, he's like the one who uh, runs the training like every day you can go and like spar with somebody and he's like the guy who sets that up. So you have to like go talk to Blade about like who you want to fight that day. But also he has like the most genuinely emotional moments where he's like really trying to open up and has a hard time doing it. It's great. It's so fun. I do genuinely like the scene where he's introduced, even though it's like kind of a jump scare. It's like, oh, there's Blade. Yeah. Uh, and then he's like, because, you know, your character is like, ah, foul demon. Like, I will strike you down. He's like, I don't know if you noticed, but like, I'm not hostile. And it's also daytime. So, yeah. like, <laughs> I'm probably not just like a vampire. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, I, I think like the sense of character is definitely there, even if sometimes it feels a little bit forced. Like, I do think that there are at least two or three characters that I would want to talk to between missions. And I imagine that's the heart of the game based on what you're sharing. Yeah. Yeah. I think so. Um, and again, the combat is so good that like, sick, I don't, yeah. I don't mind bouncing between the two of them. Like they, they really kind of got both right for me. I do think as, as I mentioned at, at the risk of going in circles, I guess, but I, I do feel like the early hours don't really show how great the hangout stuff ends up becoming, but when they really take the reins off completely and let you do what you want, you're going to have a really, really, really good time. I played way oh, more yeah. of this game in a short amount of time than I was expecting to. And I find that every time I sit down to play a video game, this is the one that I'm reaching for at the moment, which is, I think saying a lot i'll report back when i get further in if i have more to say yeah yeah uh the characters they add are great by the way i think you're gonna enjoy who you end up running into later in the game hell yeah because uh, because the midnight sun's crew grows pretty dramatically over time i already got blade and spider-man so yeah. anyone else is icing on the cake yeah I just I'm sorry I, I I need to think I need to talk about the combat for one more second because I was just yeah, thinking please. I love just speaking about specifically you know I, I talked overall about how like okay all these superheroes feel like superheroes and that's cool but they do get it right on an individual level also like I already talked about like Blade being able to life steal from people and stuff Nico for example if you don't know Nico from the runaways her whole deal is that she has the staff that's like imbued with chaos magic that she needs to like use her blood essentially to trigger this thing's magic but every time she uses it it has to be a different spell you can only use each spell once and the way that they deal with that in this game is that every single time you draw one of nico's cards it randomly chooses from like a huge pool of possible things so sometimes you can pull a card and it'll just be like 
awful and you just want to not use it and sometimes you'll pull it, it'll be like oh this does 60 damage for some reason uh, <laughs> and also like gives everyone on my team a shield which is really cool and then you have magic who is one of the more interesting characters i think from the x-men and i'm so glad she's in this game uh who has you know this big sword that she can use to rip open a a, a hole into limbo which is like this realm in between all these other realms it's like kind of how you travel between spaces in this game but you can also do that in battle so one of her cards that, that you can use is the ability to open up a portal somewhere on the map and then if you use a knockback ability it'll knock them back into that portal and out the oh, other end that's really cool like, like actually portal yeah yeah so you can move yeah. where enemies are but you can also set up that first portal so it's like facing directly into an exploding barrel or something so you can like knock a guy you know through a portal and then into an exploding barrel and then they just blow up stuff like that is so brilliant yeah um and i'm excited to see where some of the other characters come in because i i the the most recent one that i've unlocked is spider-man like spider-man's like part of the crew i've been doing a bunch of missions with him and like his his abilities are all like jumping around binding people with webs down into one space you know bouncing between enemies and like doing a bunch of damage to all of them things like that which is really fun and cool but i know some of the other characters that are coming and i'm like so fascinated by what their abilities are going to be because i don't even know I don't, I don't even know how how you're gonna pull some of them off and i'm, I'm excited about it <laughs> hell yeah yeah it's it's a cool game i'm I'm really enjoying the parts that are working for me yeah that's that's midnight suns uh play midnight it more suns. and come back I, I i'm i'm excited to see how you feel in like a couple more hours yeah i'm, I'm sure I'll, I'll be a little kinder to the characters and stuff i'm excited yeah let's see all right let's take a break okay see you soon bye-bye Brendan. Steven. We're back. Uh, We're back in multiple ways. I have unearthed my beloved 3DS again. Oh, nice. Uh, It's been a while because I feel like my handheld time for games has been largely uh, for the Steam Deck, Mm. you know, in the months that it came out, the months we got it. I feel like uh, even even Switch, I've primarily played docked these days. So like Mm. if I'm going to play handheld, I usually am either on my phone or on Steam Deck. But I have by my bed my beloved 3DS, and uh, we also have our looming potential 3DS patron bonus if we hit our goal. Yeah. But even regardless, like 3DS has been kind of a constant for our show. Like I feel like we've been, I feel like 3DS for a lot of people was purchased for either Pokemon or Smash, and then immediately sold after, and that <laughs> makes me very sad because there's so much great stuff for it. Like I'm sure plenty of people also held on to theirs but like at least my friend group for whatever reason like whenever mm. i recommend 3ds stuff or i say you should play this on the 3ds it's always like a gamble of it's sort of like asking did you keep your zoom like i don't know maybe <laughs> so anyway i finally have picked up the majora's mask remake for the 3ds nice you can get this game for 25 dollars new i got a new copy of the majora's mask remake for 25 dollars. that's great i imagine if you're more creative you can get it for zero uh, you probably know how it's pretty easy um but creativity is key that's what they always say i i got it because i wanted a physical copy of it and uh i recently this year like at the beginning of this year i played the remake of ocarina of time for the 3ds yeah i don't know why i, I just totally missed it that was like a big deal when it came out in 2011 ish and at that time i think my n64 was in healthier condition that i was like i already have it i already play it like every year whatever <laughs> you know i have a weird small tv that like doesn't make n64 look nightmarish uh 
I'll play it there. But now it, I think N64, like my physical N64, which I do still have, it's just like not the best experience setting it up. Like I've done it a couple times for the show. Mm-hmm. That is like the one console I wouldn't mind just like fully replacing digitally at this point. Because yeah. even my controller, like I hate the N64 controller. Sorry. I've said it before. It's a clown's <laughs> face. It's a clown's face and it's uncomfortable. <laughs> uh, but I, I love the library and I have a lot of cartridges. So yeah. analog tiktok baby i would get that n64 version inevitable n64 console whenever it comes out oh oh yeah totally oh my god yeah right it's, wh- have they not made that maybe they have i'm not sure i know that i I'm actually sure you did can't buy one if they have <laughs> yeah i pre-ordered or tried to buy the uh super nintendo one yeah i'm really hoping it because i also have a lot of super nintendo cartridges and to be fair, you can get like you can get a Super Nintendo and an N64 pretty easily still. Like, yeah. you know, obviously they're all used and there's always like a roll of the dice of how long they're going to last. But Super Nintendo Nintendo consoles tend to be pretty durable, I've noticed. Like mm-hmm. the only one that broke for me was the GameCube for whatever reason, which actually usually is the most like legendarily durable console. Yeah, that or like the original Game Boy, right? Did they, there was like that weird moment where someone maybe this is like a playground rumor, but I remember someone dropped during the gamecube era someone dropped like the gamecube the ps2 and the xbox like off a building and saw like which one still worked afterwards that's like a whole that's like a whole genre of youtube content (laughs) exactly (laughs) exactly so we're from the top we're gonna see if the xbox 360 lasts a 34 fall i don't know (laughs) i don't know what youtube does these days but uh anyway I got the Ocarina of Time remake earlier this year and really loved it. Was really blown away. Yeah. And honestly, I think that that is the way to play it, which goes back to me being sad that like just saying, oh, yeah, get on the 3DS is not like an easy ask for most people, Mm -hmm. Uh, even though it sold exceptionally well. And I've always been curious with the Majora's Mask remake because I, I, you know, not that you have to choose one, but like Ocarina of Time was my first Zelda. Majora's Mask was also very formative for me. I, I was actually talking to our friend Will a uh, friend of the show. Hello. We were talking about Majora's Mask, and I remembered that when that game came out, like in fifth grade for me, I actually drew and made my own masks and brought them to school. <laughs> I had these like weird cardboard masks. So like, that I rules. really loved Majora's Mask, and I, yeah. I still really admired that game. But I, when I go back to both those games, Ocarina is just like the more pleasant experience overall, you know? Yeah. Like, and that's purposeful. Like, Majora's Mask is supposed to be a creepier and more sort of emotionally draining experience. But like, even just in terms of gameplay, like Majora's Mask is a little bit more esoteric mm-hmm. than even Ocarina is. And like the time limit can be kind of annoying. And I don't know, there's just there's just more stuff to kind of get over for me like i usually play the like opening and then i'm like i don't really want to do this anymore um (laughs) but i still really love the game i think it's great it's one of the best zeldas so i was really curious about the 3ds remake because i'm like this feels even more primed for a remake than ocarina in some ways Mm because i feel like there actually is more to sort of not that you have to like sand off all the edges of a game but there's like potential for making some of this a little bit easier yeah they're, still, they're yeah. definite definite quality of life improvements that can yes. be made to majora's mask uh whereas i, I feel like w- when going and making ocarina of time 3d it's like we literally just want that game but on the 3ds yeah. and they ended up kind of going the extra mile in some cases right like having the map and the inventory and stuff on the bottom screen actually does make that game experience i think better uh, yeah. which is probably one of the reasons that you're saying that that's the place to play ocarina of time um, absolutely majora's mask needs more than just that yeah, I, I totally agree. And this game has taken more 
opportunities to like add things and change things which which i think is good i think like remakes i think should always seize the opportunity to like have their own stamp on it that way it can exist alongside the original instead of like replacing it outright but i'm I'm very early on i just started one thing i'll say immediately this game is stunning like it's so gorgeous 3ds games like tend to look good like i think it's like a really impressive piece of hardware still yeah but like the way they're able to really capture the n64 vibe of it but like taking advantage of the hardware to make things just like look nicer in some Mm -hmm. ways it reminds me a lot of that bizarre wizard of oz ds game where like they really knew how to how to use that 3d and that like right the pixel art to make it look like really unique and this majora's mask remake does similar stuff where like it looks like the n64 game but there's a lot more detail and like the beginning when you're young link on epona going through the woods is so cool yeah I don't really use the 3D, but it is kind of fun because like the opening menu uh, of of Majora's Mask is the mask spinning at you. Yeah. So I I did put it on for that moment. I have to imagine everyone who plays the 3DS does the exact same thing. Shout out in whatever social media platform uh, of your choosing. I'm just curious to know if people do this, but do you do the same thing I do where every once in a while you just turn the 3D on for like three or four seconds to see what it looks like? And you're like, wow, that's pretty cool. And then you turn it back off again. Yes. Yes. I feel like everyone who has a 3DS does that, right? (laughs) like what outside of maybe a link between worlds what game is worth like keeping the 3d on at all times the only time i i had the 3d on for like a substantial amount of time was for uh super mario 3d land oh yeah that's another good one totally that game uses verticality in a way that's the only mario game where i felt like a fear of heights in a yeah. good way yeah like because i think they even without the 3d they they play around with verticality in that game that game rules really good mario game i think it doesn't get enough credit i think it's up there yeah but uh i also put it on and this is my first 3ds game but for fire emblem awakening it is kind of fun to see the menus and characters like bounce off the background it's really pretty yeah so sometimes if a support scene is especially boring and you need that extra Extra to get yeah. it. It's like, hey, you left some tools. I can't. It's like, this is a 3D one. I gotta yeah. get through this. <laughs> but uh, Majora's Mask, the the additions they've made here, and some of them are controversial because I think like when you take a game this beloved, changing anything, I think sometimes people can get mad at that. Yeah. But like, I think. 99 if not 100 percent of the changes so far are beneficial one i just think both ocarina and majora's mask benefit so much from having the menu screen on the bottom Mm. that just like immediately makes it better and especially for majora's mask where like you are changing you know for those who don't know the game is largely about getting these transformative masks that turn link into in the beginning, a Deku scrub, and then eventually a Goron and a Zora. And there are just other masks that do other things. So like there's the bunny mask that lets you run faster. Mm-hmm. It's like Pokemon. There's a ton of masks that all do different things. And one of them is Pikachu. <laughs> one of them, yeah, Ke- the Keaton mask. Like there's even like, you know, a mask thing on the bottom screen. You could just tap that with the stylus or your yeah. finger, pull it up. And also there's a whole sort of like detective side of the game where you get the bomber's notebook where like you can keep track of like people in clock town and their schedules. I feel like this game shares a lot with like moon where like Mm -hmm. clock town is like such a cool central setting for Zelda. It was in the N64 and they've even one upped it here where like I get a sense of like life and everyone has their own schedule and routine. Like even without knowing that you see that right away in the game. Mm -hmm. I think it's kind of clever to make the first mission you're transformed into deku link and you have to uh join the bomber 
hideout club these like weird little kids that are like like hardy boy detectives basically yeah and you have to find them in all of clock town which is like a little bit tedious on one hand but the game is actually forcing you to see all of clock town and like it's gonna take you like a a day worth of time in the game to find them all unless you know exactly where they are so you're gonna see how night and day changes the setting mm-hmm. so like it's like oh at night the guy with the organ is going to be like by the body of water in the southwest and eventually when you get the bomber notebook you actually like when you observe things and see things like link will update that notebook so that's just a really i mean that was in the original game but i feel like again having that just in the menu in the bottom screen and doing a little bit to make that stuff feel more accessible and more like organic discovery like i feel like it, it makes a lot of the really really obtuse stuff in the original something that more players will probably discover on on their own without a guide yeah it's been like been my major gripe with majora's mask is like there is so much to that game this isn't necessarily like to say it's bad because of this because i love a lot of games that like we just talked about ff7 for four hours and like <laughs> that game is full of stuff that you wouldn't know how to do without a guide right but like majora's mask i think is so focused on side quests and like in some ways is a side quest that for a lot of that stuff to be so obtuse most people are just going to never know how to do it like i think there's a lot of power in in having a lot of mystery to that game so i don't want it all spelled out but there's a delicate balance of like i want to at least have the tools to know that it's an option <laughs> that's kind of my thing it's like if i didn't even know this was like a, a, a like getting the couple's mask without a guide i think is impossible but i think it's a little bit more doable on the 3ds version and there's some other features too like there's a they've added like those stone masks that give you like tips and they've also made the saving system much better because in in the original you had to quit the game every time you saved and in this one you can just save at the owl statues yeah i'm still very early on so i'm curious like how the dungeons play and like Mm -hmm. i I know they did some changes to the bosses from what i know i think they have like more visible weak points or something but so far this game is so impressive and like it is also really cool how well they nailed the feeling of movement because i think Ocarina of Time, while it was the first 3D Zelda, it largely adhered to a 2D Zelda formula with the dungeons. It wasn't until Majora's Mask where they really went all out and taking advantage of it being 3D. So like, you know, Deku Link can fly around with the flowers, Goron Link can roll and like go up ramps, mm. Zora Link can swim. And then there's that whole dungeon where you're like flipping it on its side as like a 3D space. Cool. Um, and having that on the 3DS, I think just it, it just fits so well. And I, it, it's also, I think having such a creepy and interesting game handheld also adds to that feeling of intimacy. And like, I think this game just really shines as a handheld experience and on the 3DS specifically. So I highly recommend it if you haven't played Majora's Mask and you have a 3DS I think this is like the way to play it so far at least ding 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 um, <laughs> me the most I've played of either of those games has been on 3DS in both cases like I have played yeah. more of Ocarina of Time on 3DS than in any other instance and same with Majora's Mask but I have not finished either of them and in Majora's Mask I have not gotten far at all so I'll, I'll be curious to eventually check those out I feel like those are like bonuses that are lingering on the horizon oh, eventually yeah. like I, I really do in the same way we just played Final Fantasy 7 like I really do want to make it all the way through ocarina of time like finally have that experience but you know as i think most people say like whatever your first zelda game is is probably going to be like the one for you and mine was twilight princess and going backwards ocarina of time after that was very difficult like i had i had i forget what it was called but i had that like gamecube disc that had a bunch of zelda games on it yeah yeah i know what you're talking about it was like if you pre-ordered wind waker i think you got like a bunch of yeah that's very rare yeah yeah i might still have it i I should check uh it might be gone who knows but uh (laughs) 
that was that was the first time I tried playing both Ocarina of Time and Majora's Mask. And I couldn't get into either of them uh, at that point, but I feel like I'm, I'm more primed now than ever before to finally check them out. And I have them both on 3DS. I remember I remember so vividly when Ocarina of Time came out on 3DS and uh, and like it was, I think, deep in winter and it was snowing so much and I was like sitting by a fireplace playing it and it was like the most perfect experience of all time. <laughs> and then Majora's Mask, I think, came out alongside the new 3DS, if I recall It was 2015, yeah. yeah. I think it was alongside that. And I think I think I upgraded my, my 3DS to a new 3DS specifically to get Majora's Mask and then ended up like not playing it, which was very silly for me because I didn't have enough money to do either of those things at that <laughs> point in time. But uh, yeah. Anyway, Majora's Mask on the 3DS. Um, I, yeah, I'm curious to see how you feel about it. I know that that's one of those games that got like co-opted by one weird youtuber you know who like kind of cinema sends it to death um <laughs> and that's that's where a lot of the discourse online comes from like that's sure. really all i know about that remake um is, is like the the poisoned well of conversation about it um but i i'm curious to see how you feel about it as like a longtime fan yeah i mean most people i've talked to seem to be really kind to it like uh yeah they're normal not terminally online people <laughs> yeah and like, you know, I, I think, again, like remakes and and taking sort of beloved work like this is is already kind of tricky. Yeah. Um, you know, I mean, I think like Blue Point with Shadow of the Claws is a similar thing where like if they messed that game up, everyone would have yeah. lost their mind. Right. Uh, but I think I think that's a good comparison for these. I think like Blue Point's approach at remaking Shadow of the Colossus to me is very similar to Ocarina of Time's remake specifically. Mm -hmm. Majora's Mask, I think, is doing a little bit more to be like, okay, if we're doing this again, we can maybe change some things and maybe add some things. And like, yeah. even if those are not great choices, I think that that's usually a good move. Is like, are I you agree. doing something, like, are you taking this opportunity to actually like maybe put your own take on it? You know, not quite to the same level of like FF7 remake where that's like an entirely different genre and like mm -hmm. new experience but like you know it's like, okay if we're doing this again like it's less interesting just to do one-to-one -one. like what can we do that makes this like feel like its own thing yeah i do know I, I think it's worth going into the context a little bit of that time in nintendo also because i think a lot of what people remember about that time or maybe don't remember but what was very prevalent during that time was nintendo adding a lot of like really big quality of life or like easy mode quote-unquote features to a lot of games so like the donkey kong tropical freeze plus funky mode thing that came out that was like oh yeah you're playing as funky kong and you're invincible the whole time things like that were very prevalent in nintendo so i think there was kind of this like rallying against that online uh, against against nintendo like making things easier and going into majora's mask remaking it and saying like we're gonna smooth over some of those edges that are a little bit more obtuse and a little bit harder to get into was like one of the things that people rallied behind being like this sucks and we don't like it yeah whereas for me somebody who had a hard time getting into majora's mask the first time i like really welcome that stuff and i think in most cases, if adding some quality of life things can get somebody to the end of a game they wouldn't have finished beforehand, that's like a positive. I think more people experiencing more of a game is going to be better in the long run than the opposite. And it doesn't remove the original Majora's Mask also. Yes, right. Like you can go play that on the Nintendo Switch literally right now. It's also like the changes they made don't like flatten the game into like nothing. It's like right. they made things make sense. Like, <laughs> uh, I don't know. But, you know, I, I get it. I mean, I, I feel everything has nuance like i think you know right of course I, I might i might feel a little differently the further i get in i might you know be like oh okay maybe we didn't need that or whatever but yeah overall i think it's a really great way to experience it and it does make me a little bit sad because like well on one hand it's very much a nintendo and a business move to like remake these games for a new console and sell them you know for full price on the yeah. thing <laughs> but at the same time like there is so much love and attention put into the this ocarina and majora remake and mm -hmm. like an iota of that for the subscription 
encryption based, you know, emulated N64 libraries, which like, again, I'm glad they're there, but that, that really is like the lowest amount of effort you could put into it. And, you know, the fact that again, like the e-store is being discontinued and like these yeah. games are going to get harder to get and more expensive. It's just a bummer. And I'm like, I wish that, I don't know if this is like fundamentally changed or whatever things are constantly changing. So nothing is permanent, but like, I kind of wish even, you know, these games aren't that old. I mean, I guess the Ocarina remake is, is a decade old now. Ooh. Uh, but, the, you know, the, the Majora's one is from 2015, which is, you know, a long time ago. But, like, it's recent enough history where Nintendo seemingly had enough awareness and reverence for their past games. Yeah. And I worry that that is, like, going away more now. Because, mm. like, you know, you can I think Majora's Mask is on the N64 arcade or collection on Switch. But, like, I just, I, I played Paper Mario on that. Like, I, I've played games on that and I've had a fine time. But, like, it really is not an ideal way to play most of that stuff Mm. so i don't know i just i feel like i don't know if the move is like keep remaking old games because that's its own nightmare yeah but i do think that these games are special and i think that it's like a moment where where they kind of did good on their past i agree yeah i totally agree with you yeah and and I think I think just on your point that like the current system is not super ideal. I just really have a hard time bringing myself to like go over, find the N64 icon on my Switch library and then open that up, wait for the intro animation, scroll to the game I want to play and then start it and then load from my save state. Like all of that is so much friction to get to what I want to be doing. Yeah. And I a lot of what I just described is stuff you could solve like via the UI, I think. But I, I do think it's like it does feel buried. It does feel like, you know, kind of second class in a way that it should yeah. considering it's like the reason the nintendo switch exists is because of the history of these older games yeah it, it's just very hard for me to recommend playing anything there over just like truly just emulating it like yeah. you're gonna have a much better time <laughs> yeah. Yeah. but anyway this remake is great and i'm excited to play more of it yeah and it's gonna go away forever <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh just like clock town just like clock town in 72 hours Ow! take a quick break yeah, that sounds good. Okay, yeah, I think I think I need it. <laughs> All right, see ya. Bye bye. Steven, hello. Hey. Welcome back to the show. Welcome back, dear listener, to the show. I hope you had a great break. Yeah. I imagine you didn't take a break. We took a break. Unless you paused the episode, went, got a 3ds, <laughs> and did the needful. <laughs> I hope that that's what people do. Every time we take a break, they like go out and they like experience life and then come back. We make this show to be intentionally listened to in halves and in, in between you should get a 3DS. It's kind of like <laughs> Every our, time our you should have a stack of Nintendo mission. 3DSs. Yeah. You should have, yeah, exactly. You should have a wall of just Nintendo 3DSs. <laughs> Every, everyone who sent us those like, I've listened to 16,000 minutes of Into the Aether this past year. <laughs> that's a lot of 3DSs. First of all, th- thank you so much everybody who reached out by the way because Spotify yeah. did their wrapped thing pocket casts surprisingly also had their own like pocket cast wrapped kind of thing uh so many people hit us up and were like i've listened to the show so much it was number one for a lot of people even just being in the top five was wild by itself really really amazing like i feel like every year more and more people send us that and this year was like i actually couldn't even keep up with the amount of people that sent us that yeah i want to say like whenever people share that or when they send us very nice emails or messages or share that like it's gotten to the point where we actually can't thank everybody (laughs) but it really does mean a lot i i've said this before i really have a hard time accepting compliments like i still don't really believe that this show isn't just you and i right now (laughs) you know just a skype call (laughs) 
the fact that people are like, I listen to him like what? Like I, I know it consciously, but I, I think part of me still hasn't like really fully. And you know, we're a small show by all means. Like I don't want to like blow it too out of proportion, but like we've really substantially grown in the last year and a half, especially. Yeah. And I'm just really proud of what we make here, and that people seem to really enjoy it. So really, thank you so much for sharing that. I really made our day. Yeah, pretty and our year. pretty wild. Yeah, uh, learning to to accept compliments has been on my New Year's resolutions list for about <laughs> five years. <laughs> yeah. Uh, shout out to Maya. If if you're listening who uh prompted me to add it to my new year's resolution list that's a real thing by the way i'm not even kidding about that <laughs> not a bit i've started just saying thank you because even a couple years ago my default reaction to any kind of positive feedback would be like insulting myself in some right, way yeah. or like making a joke and i'm glad i'm past that yeah yeah that's the first hurdle i think is yeah. getting over that yeah definitely because all because that sounds like that that almost feels like a humble brag in a way. It's, yeah, it's right. Like, it's like over modesty in a way. Yeah, it comes out the other end being like shitty. It's bizarre. Anyway, I'm, I'm you got to own it. Yeah, you want to talk about video games? Yes, I'm sick of talking about myself. <laughs> so let's talk about video games. We haven't talked about any this week. Yeah, I played a game that has been on my backlog for a while. Uh, my 2022 backlog to be specific that I was really excited about. We we are gearing up for Goaty. Yes. Uh, it, it's kind of like the time we have at, at the time of this recording, like about two weeks to play like everything we want to play and revisit everything we want to revisit while we figure yeah. out what our goatee list are going to be. And there are a couple of games that were still lingering on the like, will I have time to check this out? If I do, is it worth investing time in to see if it's going to make the list or not? Um, and there were there were only a couple of games left on that list specifically before i start revisiting things from uh from the rest of the year and seeing like okay let's figure out the order and the the game that i checked out this week uh was immortality which is Mm. the new game by sam barlow uh who made things like her story and telling lies uh but previously worked on some of the like more critically acclaimed silent hill stuff that came after uh you know two which is pretty wild so if you don't know sam barlow's work i think the best way to describe it is like they're generally speaking mystery fmv games um so her story i think kind of like blew up on the scene by being this like fully acted fmv thing where you are essentially playing as a detective who's scrubbing through interview footage with somebody who has been detained for potentially committing a crime and you need to figure out if they did it or not um and the way you go about doing that is by searching for words because all of the text or all of the all of that conversation between the interrogator and the interrogatee has been transcribed. So you're like searching for words to see if you can find links and clues between them until you can figure out eventually like who committed this crime, etc. Really cool concept. Definitely a little bit difficult to play, I think, for a lot of people because it really does involve a little bit of like hunting and pecking. And, you know, you got to play with keyboard and just watching a lot of footage. It's a little bit hard to maneuver your way around her story. Telling Lies, I haven't played. I don't know anything about it, really, um, outside of like some of my favorite actors are in it, which is fun. So I kind of do want to check it out eventually. But I've seen some screenshots of it and I've seen some footage of it. It does look very cool. Immortality, though, has been on my radar since it came out. It seemed really interesting. The conceit of the game on the very highest level, and I'm going to do my best to not spoil anything, just to be clear. But the conceit of the game on the very highest level is Immortality is a retrospective of the career of a woman by the name of marissa marcel uh who starred in three movies all of which never released but she was kind of like built up to be 
one of the biggest movie stars of her time. But none of those movies ever came out, and it's kind of on you as the player to figure out why. So you're scrubbing through all of this footage of these three movies, trying to figure out, like, why did none of these movies ever come out? What happened to Marissa Marcel? Like, where's she at? As denoted by the name... You know, the first movie is, I think, in the 60s. The second one is in kind of like the mid 70s. And the last one is in 1999. And Marissa Marcel is the same age in all three, which, mm. uh, you know, immediately kind of alludes to a greater mystery here, which is fascinating and interesting. But the way the game actually plays involves you starting with one clip. As far as I know, you everybody starts with the same clip, which is Marissa being interviewed by someone who is doing like a pretty hilarious Johnny Carson impression um, <laughs> about the lead up to the first movie, uh, which is called Ambrosio, which is like a kind of like sultry religious drama uh, about a about a man uh, who, who works in a convent who um, may or may not be getting like turned against his will uh away from the church and she is the lead of this movie so she's being interviewed about it and at any point you can pause the clip that you're watching and you can click on the face of any of the people in the scene or you can click on any object in the scene and it will what's called match cut you to another clip that that person or object is in in any of the three movies and not even in the movies but it could also be like behind the scenes footage so it could be like a cast party where everybody's hanging out in like a warehouse in between shoots it could be actually like you're jumping from one scene in ambrosio to another scene in ambrosio or it could be a scene in ambrosio if you click on marissa marcel's face it could match cut you to one of the scenes from her movie in 1999 which is called two of everything so you're constantly bouncing around between these three movies and unlocking more and more clips the more things you click on and in doing so and watching all of this stuff out of order i i think the biggest hurdle that people are gonna need to get over with this game is trying to get over that hump of like i don't have enough context here to understand what's happening literally at all yeah and that will take like at least an hour to two hours of play until you yeah. get to the point where you're like i maybe have understood the plot of one of these three movies because i feel like there are a couple a couple hurdles that you need to get over with this game number one is figuring out what's going on in these three movies what these movies are about even luckily Luckily, when you're out in like the big clip view where you can like see all the clips you've unlocked, you can arrange them in either the order they were shot, like sequentially in time, or you can rearrange them to be in the order that they actually appear in the movie. So like at a certain point, you can just sit down and be like, I'm going to watch Ambrosio. And then you could just watch Ambrosio. Um, And that's like one of the more miraculous things about the game is that they really did like script shoot and create three different movies for this game yeah um and not only do they have these actors playing these actors playing these parts in these movies but they're also playing these actors like outside of those moments right okay so there's like the guy who's playing ambrosio in the movie and what is he like outside of the movie and you learn so much about that actor outside of that and his relationship with other people in the cast you learn so much about and you learn so much so so much about And he ends up being the director of the second and third movie and the relationship between him and Marissa as like, you know, uh, creative and muse and like how that relationship is like fraught or helpful in certain ways um, is really fascinating and really cool. I will say that all three of the movies are great. I thought early on, (laughs) I was like, you know, these are silly. You know, the first one is very much like of its era. It seems like maybe kind of a flop. And I was at first my thought was like, why didn't this movie come out? Oh, it's because it's not very good. And then eventually I was like, oh, shit, I love Ambrosio. I think it's awesome. It is actually an adaptation of a real book, which is wild. Also, oh wow, Um, it's called The Monk by M.G. Lewis, um, which is I'm amazed that it was able to come out (laughs) in the time that it was written. It's like the 1700s, I think. Um, And it is like really lewd 
food for a book that was released at that time. Yeah. All of that having been said, I have played this game twice now. I played it once all the way through and had just like the most like perfect experience you could possibly have playing this game. I was so fascinated in learning about the three movies and then learning about Marissa and then learning about like the connections between all of them. I played it a second time immediately because I I didn't understand how it was possible because this game feels so much to me like 13 Sentinels in that. I was about to say, yeah, similar. energy. Yeah. yeah. They're pulling off this magic trick that I think is like an impossibility and somehow it all works. And so much of it is reliant on trusting that the player will eventually make the right connections, but you're making those connections in any order. So I played it twice the first time i would say took me like four to five hours to reach the end credits which like there are end credits like there is an end to this game which is very striking the second time took way longer it took like i would say between seven to nine hours probably to finish the second time and it was like i what was wild about that experience was i knew the right connections i needed to be making to get to some of the more important scenes that kind of fill in some of the blanks narratively about like what's happening in the life of this person and i just couldn't get them to happen and i couldn't figure out why i couldn't get them to unlock in the right way so when i go and i read reviews online about this game and some people are like this is the best game of the year and some people are like i can't get over the hurdle of like even getting around the controls much less under Understanding what's going on narratively i understand where those people in the latter camp are coming from because i my second experience was definitely frustrating yeah to get to the point where i was like i understand all of this i will say if you're playing through it and you're like i'm having a frustrating time just keep chipping away at it and allow your curiosity to kind of overtake you and just take you into different spaces in the game because curiosity is going to be the thing that drives you to completing it starting to figure out like okay you know i'm going to frame backwards the 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 control scheme is like super weird but really what it comes down to is like the left trigger if you if you press it will start to rewind footage if you press it multiple times it'll rewind it faster kind of like if you're on like netflix or something but at any point you can also use the d-pad to go like frame by frame through moments so so if there's like a knife that shows up for a second you're like i'm curious if there are other knives and other clips you can like you know frame backwards slowly to the one frame that somebody like flashes a knife and then click on it and like see if that takes you anywhere interesting but sometimes it doesn't like sometimes you'll click on like somebody's uh somebody's like earring which is in the shape of a snake and it'll take you to a real snake and it's like a shot of a snake that exists for like four seconds and then there's no information conveyed at all in that scene (laughs) and that'll happen every once in a while and i kind of find that to be fun in a way you know every once in a while you'll hit a clip that's like i don't really need to think about this one too hard i could just like enjoy the fact that there's a snake slithering across the screen like that's cool by itself but i will say overall You know, speaking of like the various phases that the player will go through through playing this game, you know, phase one is like I'm starting to learn what the plots of these movies are. Phase two is I'm learning about Marissa Marcel and phase three is connecting the dots between all of this to ask yourself what it all means thematically like about art and about creation and about the idea of immortality and that is where this game becomes a goatee contender like for real for real this is one of the best games I've played this year. I wouldn't have played it twice. I played it the first time in one sitting, uh, and then the second time it took me two sittings because I thought I was going to be able to do it in one sitting again, and I absolutely could not because it took longer. But I wouldn't have played this game twice if I didn't want to like really understand the ins and outs of it and why it's so special yeah. and how they're able to pull off this magic trick. And in playing it the second time, I unlocked way more scenes from all three of the movies and understood way more about what was going on thematically and narratively, which was really, really rewarding. I'm not saying you should go and play it twice. What I would recommend is like play 
it once until you've rolled credits and then you can hang out in that save file and like continue to match things if you're like still curious about what's going on in the movies but it is extremely extremely worth playing um and i'm trying so hard to not talk more about it because (laughs) the actual story is fascinating and so interesting and so cool and will have you like yelling what the fuck out loud in your empty apartment multiple times um (laughs) but on top of that i think is like at, at the risk of like maybe being a little bit too um, hyperbolic or putting other games down like this feels like a game for adults in like a very real way. Like it really feels like you need to be you need to be critically analyzing a lot of stuff in this game. The fact that it is tackling really heavy themes, really heavy ideas, really kind of big ideas and and asking you to be present in places and spaces that are like uncomfortable to be in and to like scrub through them like in slow motion sometimes really does require like knowing what you're getting into in advance they're really good about like content warnings and stuff early on in the game uh in case you're like worried about that so just a heads up there but it does feel to me like it it is tackling themes and ideas that are going to bounce off a lot of people like a lot of people i think are going to have a hard time with this game um but if you if you have that curiosity and if it grabs you and if you find yourself getting lost in it the way I did, where you really do feel like a detective scrubbing through all of this footage, you will have, I think, one of the best experiences you can have in a video game this year. Wow. It, it is it is a remarkable game. And I have so much more to say about it that I can't say for fear of spoilers, <laughs> which is which is where it gets really frustrating. But um, I will write a review of this for the top 10. It'll make my top 10, just to be clear. Like, I I, I don't I'm not going to hide that. I will write a review of it and, it. and I think I will need to get more into spoiler stuff to even accurately describe why it's making the top 10 because right now i'm just talking about how cool it is mechanically and like oh the acting's good and the writing's good um but but i think you in particular will really connect with a lot of the themes of this game yeah i'm excited to play i mean it's been on my backlog for a while as well and same with her story which i still have to play and i wasn't sure like how much to prioritize playing it before Gody, but you've definitely swayed me yeah. to make it happen this is this is one of the ones i think i have a pretty good idea of like what's on your backlog and what's on my backlog and i think this yeah. is this is maybe the one to prioritize of all that stuff cool it's also on game pass right it's on that's game where pass i played currently. it yeah cool yeah. that's where i'll play it too yeah yeah I, it sounds like they also took an opportunity i mean from what little i know about her story the the game the gameplay of it like you said it's just sort of looking through like archives of of interviews mm-hmm. but the the way the game paces itself is by making the search engine purposely shitty yeah so only like three results will come up instead of you know our normal google results mm-hmm. i like the idea of using a match cut to just jump to another thing and, and it gives you like just enough control but keeps the mystery of like i actually don't know what i'm gonna see yeah and also having them visually all blend together i imagine works thematically as well yeah and you'll you'll be really surprised as to what stuff you can match cut between like it really comes down to like chairs in the background or like lamps and doors and stuff like they really sometimes will get esoteric and sometimes will get super weird about the things that you can match cup between which lends to every once in a while there's like comedy in this game uh and sometimes even just the match cut that you get will be comedy in itself but for the most part i, I mean it's it's fascinating it's, it's a fascinating story about like power and creativity and a pretty like pretty incisive cut at hollywood and like hollywood's yeah practices and the way in, in which they like turn through people and and find people to be disposable uh is also really fascinating and uh if i say any more i'm gonna start spoiling stuff so i'll probably stop now yeah, maybe, maybe we'll do some spoiler episode about it one day or dying or to. something absolutely yeah. dying to yeah. yeah if you at any point if you want to talk about immortality i could talk about it for hours hell yeah 
Well, we'll see what happens. Yeah. Match cut to the bonus in the future. <laughs> uh, that's immortality. Yeah, it's available on Xbox. I think also on PlayStation. I don't think it's on Switch. There's like a lot of nudity in it. So I imagine like Nintendo probably, probably doesn't not, abide by that. Yeah. I do know, though, that uh, Netflix picked up the rights to it and you can get it on iOS and Android if you sign in through Netflix. Oh, yeah. Um, Interesting. So it's part of like the Netflix games package. Uh, if you if you go onto either of those app stores and download it. Cool. Um, that sounds great. I'm, I'm curious to, to see it. how it how it would play on ios i feel like that's maybe not the place to do it because you need to be tapping on stuff and I, having it on a smaller screen like it feels really cool to be sitting on a couch watching this stuff on yeah your TV. the ties to film here make it sound like it needs to be on like a living room display yeah of some kind um i will say the controls are a little bit finicky and and the ways <laughs> the tutorial even is like a little bit fucked up on purpose uh where like letters and and buttons are like missing from the tutorial because like ooh the game is maybe spooky but uh funnily enough eventually you just kind of figure it out i think knowing in advance that tapping the left or right triggers multiple times will speed up whichever way you're you're scrubbing is very helpful never use the analog stick is what i learned they tell you to use the analog <laughs> stick to scrub between footage and i just found it to be like completely useless use the triggers and use the d-pad cool Will do. Those are those are my those are my tips and tricks for immortality. <laughs> do you want to speed run immortality? That would be difficult. Yeah, I'd I be, imagine. I'd it be would curious. Be. I'll think about it. Okay. Yeah. Give it some thought. One more break. One more break, and then uh, oh, I cannot wait for the next section. <laughs> <laughs> you've really spoiled us this episode with what you've come prepared with. <laughs> bye bye. See ya. Hello. Hey. So you sent me kind of like almost a threat uh-huh. about this section I did, in our yeah. DMs yeah, where you basically just said like, I'm going to come at you with so much Final Fantasy 15 next week. Yeah. Yeah. So um, I, I've prepared myself. I put on, you know, some leather armor. Okay. You know, I'm, I'm all ready. Cool. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Here's the thing. Final <laughs> Fantasy 15. I started playing it right. Like literally the moment we stopped recording our Final Fantasy 7 bonus. Like I, we were done with that game and i was like i want to be in this world still which i know they're different that's the whole point of final fantasy there is connective tissue yeah um i was like i still i I want to experience more final fantasy stuff and i have been thinking about revisiting 15 for a long time i talked about a little bit on last week's episode i was still pretty early on in there i think i think i was like three or four hours in or something i'm much further in now but as i alluded to last week i i played 15 at like a pretty not great time in my life so i was like i kind of want to revisit it with like clarity of mind and just like take it on for what it is and i talked last week and i'm gonna spoil a little bit of like literally chapter one which is like maybe one or two hours of final fantasy 15 but i i I didn't spoil it last week and i will this week the way the game opens like the conceit of final fantasy 15 is you you play as noctis who is uh the prince of a kingdom and he is on a road trip with uh, three other dudes to meet his soon to be wife, which is, you know, a marriage that's a little bit political theater, a little bit like, you know, we're just kind of uh, continuing to show that there's going to be peace between our two kingdoms forever uh, by by having these two get married. Very cool. Very good. Um, but also those two are like childhood friends. Uh, her, her name is uh, Lady Luna Freya. Uh, so, you know, they're childhood friends. They've known each other for a long time. It like kind of actually makes sense that they're going to get married in this world. And you're on this road trip from point a to point b to go like meet up with her for the wedding which i really love that as a framing device honestly yeah like, I, I don't think it, it fails to contain the scope of this story yeah but i i think that that's a great premise for a game i think it's really about like sort of the end of his childhood you know it's like totally he's traveling with his three bodyguards who, who are also all like 
close friends of his yeah it feeds into what a lot of final fantasy games are about right yeah like a lot yeah. of final fantasy games are about kind of like loss of innocence or like growing into an adult out of childhood and and this game opening with that and just being like we're just gonna level so that that is what this game is about also but putting it at the forefront i think is a cool idea yeah the car grew on me big time yeah, yeah yeah the game then smash cuts as soon as you learn that to Noctis as like like a man with like long hair and a beard and his three friends and they're like fighting you know a Final Fantasy end boss essentially uh, and the room is filled with fire and it's a fucking nightmare and they're all like huddled behind a, a broken down column trying to avoid like magic blasts from whatever it is that they're fighting. Um, so you get this like allusion to the future, like literally Noctis as, as a man. Yeah. And then you come back and there's like a little bit of kind of open worldiness about it, right? Like the game is encouraging you to drive around in your car and go exploring and fight monsters, kind of like Monster Hunter and like do all these side yeah. quests where you're like, you know, just helping people out around around this world, which the first time I played the game is really what I got sucked into. Like I... Yeah. As it turns out, I don't think I ever made it past like chapter three in my first playthrough, <laughs> even though I played probably like a lot of that game. There's a lot to do, like the the side quests. And that's honestly like I, I have mixed feelings about 15, which I basically shared last week. But yeah. I really do love I really love parts of the plot. I, I do really like the cast. And I think yeah. the sort of monster hunter loop of it and the like hanging out at camp and the fact that all four of those characters have like their own hobby. Right. And their own little support scenes that pop up like that all is really well done yeah it's, it's genuinely touching and it plays into the game in interesting ways i think so too yeah i, th I yeah. think that's all really strong and and knowing that i could so easily get wrapped up in that again i've been i've been choosing to prioritize the main quest more this time than i did the first yeah. time because i i want to see more of like what people rub up against because i know that there's like this kind of lingering disappointment about like the story and the narrative yeah and where it goes so that that's kind of been what i've been really interested in and i know a lot of that comes from the fact that like there's a lot of um there's a lot of multimedia that you need to be consuming to understand <laughs> yep. the full scope of final fantasy 15 which has been really interesting so what i was getting to in that first chapter is that chapter wraps up with you going to some docks so you can get on a boat and go to where princess lunafreya is like you, you need to go meet up with her in her kingdom and when you go to sleep that night it cuts to a cutscene which completely different art style super high res the city that prince noctis came from getting absolutely destroyed um there's like what is obviously like a big summon demon uh just absolutely destroying that city noctis's father gets killed so like the king dies which means that noctis has to like become the king immediately and the whole city falls and noctis is now like a king without a kingdom essentially they have fallen to the enemy which I think is called Niflheim. It is Niflheim. And you watch this scene. There's no dialogue in this scene. You're just watching visuals, like really high res visuals of the city getting destroyed. And then it cuts back to like Final Fantasy 15 visuals. And Ignis, one of the, the three friends in the car, walks in and is like, I need to give you this newspaper. I need to break this bad news to you. And Noctis is like, what the fuck is happening? And that scene is not effective <laughs> that scene is like yeah that that is one of the worst ways you could have probably handled this i think and as i mentioned last week you could cut out that entire like cg cut scene and literally just cut from them going to sleep to them waking up the next morning and ignis being like i need to break some bad news to you and that's a more effective way of delivering that information 
Yeah, it stands out. I mean, for for a multitude of reasons, but I think it's also like kind of emblematic of a lot of issues of the game where it's like this should have been a big moment. Yeah. Like there are so many moments in other Final Fantasy games that are like that. Yeah. There's actually a really great video essay about this game from Super Eye Patch Wolf. It's a little bit harsh, but I do think he does a great job at pointing out where this game kind of lost its way and mm-hmm. this scene is like a very focal point of the essay. Yeah. Where like he basically says like this should have been the moment everyone talked about like yes. this should have been like the gut punch of the game and is instead like confusing and weird right because this franchise is known for having like huge holy shit like everything you know is changing kind of twists yeah. and they're usually like in the second or third act of the game and, yeah. and having it happen this early on i think is like a, it's a really bold choice and it is so ineffective in its execution and the reason for that is that the scene that i'm referring to the cutscene that we're talking about the like really high res one is actually part of a movie that was released before the game came out called final fantasy 15 king's glaive which is by the same studio that made Advent Children. This is the other movie that they made. <laughs> and I, I messaged you a couple of days ago and I said, I'm going to push to its absolute breaking point our idea on the show of judging games by their intention. I'm going to play Final Fantasy 15 the way that they intended, which means <laughs> I'm going to watch the movie so I can get this backstory uh, before I move on with the game. So I, w- I went online and I, I looked up like, how are you supposed to engage with all of this content? And I didn't even know how much there was. Like, I thought it was like, oh, they have Kingsglaive and then they have Final Fantasy 15. And like, that's what you're supposed to do. What I didn't understand is that there's like way more than just that. Yeah, there's also an animated series. There's right? an anime. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There's uh, I-, I think it's a six episode anime. Each episode is like about 15 to 20 minutes long, somewhere in that vicinity. So what you're supposed to do is play a thing called A King's Tale, Final Fantasy XV, which is no longer available, uh, so you can't do that. (laughs) And then you're supposed to watch Final Fantasy XV Brotherhood, which is an anime, which I did watch all of. And then you're supposed to play Final Fantasy XV until the end of Chapter 1, which is what we were just talking about. And then you watch King's Glaive, Final Fantasy XV, and then you play Final Fantasy XV until Chapter 7. At which point you start to do more stuff, which I'll get into. I have done all of this. Wow. I'm re- I'm really trying to, like, give it its due. I just yeah. want to be clear. At the top here, it's a horrible idea. They should not have done this. <laughs> this is not smart. And, and I, I don't think it's effective storytelling, and it's not very good or helpful to the story to have it broken up in this way. Even if all of those individual pieces of media are good, the reliance on each other is, is like, not enjoyable. Exactly. You know? Yeah. yeah. What I will say is that the anime is awesome and fills in a lot of thematic blanks that I had, um, which I'll get into. But the the King's Glaive of it all, the movie, the Final Final Fantasy fifteen, the movie. First of all, bizarre movie. It's it's about the titular King's Glaive, who are like the royal guards to the king, uh, Noctis's father. The lead is played by Aaron Paul, whose voice does not match the character model at all. So it's super <laughs> weird to just like hear Aaron Paul's voice coming out of this guy's mouth. I think he does a good performance, to be clear, but I don't think that the character model like matches at all. Yeah, and the story is like it's not nonsensical, but it's not. It's not great. And I essentially just like spent the entire time waiting to see the scene 
that is in the video game just thinking like okay eventually we'll lead up to this and then you know maybe i'll have a better understanding of the story you don't really like by the end of that movie and i'm sorry to spoil the movie but the the end of the movie really is like aaron paul's character like saves luna freya from this big you know horrible apocalyptic event and like sends her off to another city so she will survive and like that's the that's like the plot of the movie weirdly enough though there are scenes from the game in the movie also, which I didn't yes. realize. And this is where it starts to really fall apart here, where it's like, OK, you have a reliance on this movie for people playing the game. But also people need to have played the game that at this point wasn't already out to understand what's happening in the movie. <laughs> It's like when Kingsglaive came out, there are scenes in it that are completely flying over the heads of people because they haven't played the game and vice versa if you just play the game. Really bizarre. I don't have data to back this up, but I know a little bit about the production of this game. And Mm. the broad details are like Nomura was leading development from like the late 2000s when it was 13 versus versus 13. Yeah. It then switched directors around 2012. And at that point, the goal was we just have to make a game like by any means necessary. This game just has to be completed. Right. And again, for that to be the goal, they did a great job. Yeah. This could and, and, you know, but you feel that divide so often. And Kingsglaive to me looks more. I haven't watched it. And I again, this is just a hunch, but it feels like that movie is more close to Nomura's original idea for what 13 versus or versus 13 mm. would have been. The pitch for it was like much darker and sort of this like strange city where people worship gods of death. And like, you know, the, right. the goal of that game was so ridiculously ambitious and kept changing and, and, you know, scope creep and everything you can imagine. Yeah. And I just feel like at a certain point when the goal shifted to we have to make a game, I feel like they just went out of their way to like make sense of ev- all the pieces as they had yeah and i feel like the movie's existence is kind of by extension of that Mm. in some ways i i will say that the what the movie accomplishes that the game does not is giving you a sense of place for insomnia which is like the city that that noctis and and his friends come from where you get to learn a little bit more about the ins and outs of it and you start to kind of experience it almost as like midgar adjacent um yeah like nicer obviously but like it seems like a pretty nice place to be for the most part and when you watch it get absolutely rocked by niflheim it's like pretty shocking to watch and like pretty horrifying to watch in a way that it's not at all in the game because you haven't seen that city at all in the game until you're watching it get destroyed so in that respect Kingsglaive is like helpful I I think just to like give a little bit more of a punch to that moment where where watching all of this stuff really works is in the anime because the anime each episode so the six episodes I mentioned for the first I think it's four episodes it's mostly about each of the individual people in the car Uh, so you learn a little bit about like Noctis and his background and like how he met Luna Freya and like their relationship between one another, which doesn't seem to be explained at all in the game either. Um, <laughs> like how their childhood friends and like some of the trauma that they both share, like some of the like really horrible shit that went down between the two of them. And then you have individual episodes for Ignis and Gladius and Prompto, um, who are like the three friends in the car, which my thought while playing the game was, you know, before I had watched this was what is the actual relationship between these people? Because I don't believe at all 
for a second that they're not all kind of like sycophantic like we're just you know kind of like suckling at the teat of power because prince noctis is literally the prince of this kingdom you know are are they like really his friends or are they not and the answer that the anime tells you is like they're not really with the exception of prompto prompto is actually like kind of an old friend of noctis um from high school but gladiolus is like literally his trainer like gladiolus is like the guy his like his sparring partner who is like kind of rough on him and is like i need you to be practicing how to fight every single day because that's like what you need to be doing as a prince and eventually as a king like you you will maybe hypothetically if the peace ever breaks need to lead an army into battle and you need to know how to do that so he's been like hired as the trainer the personal trainer for noctis and ignis is like very literally like the guy who like makes his sheets and makes his meals and like tells him to he's study like a butler yeah, yeah is like his butler essentially uh you know he's brilliant he's a brilliant mind obviously but he's essentially his like live-in butler in in the apartment complex that noctis just lives in while he's going to school and that's the actual relationship between these four and and when you know that it makes some scenes in the game way more interesting there's a, there's a scene in the game where you're fighting this giant titan that has like a like a big final fantasy ass crystal on its back and it's like you know it's a it's a mountain of, a, of an enemy that you're fighting and at that point in the game you and uh, noctis and gladiolas have been separated from ignis and prompto so it's just the two of them and they snap right back into the relationship that they have in the anime when gladiolus is like training noctis how to fight where like you can tell that the power dynamic between the two of them has shifted entirely back in gladiolus's favor in this moment because he's like i need to keep you alive i'm literally like the bodyguard to the king now and also i know what you're capable of and and more specifically i know what you're not capable of uh and, and i need to like keep you alive through this and that is really interesting knowing that context that you would never would have had if you hadn't gone online and watched this shit on youtube which yeah. is so frustrating to know that like not even in the menus of Final Fantasy 15 does it say, hey, we recommend playing it in this way. They just assume that you know that already. And that's so <laughs> frustrating that when you actually engage with all of it in the order that you're supposed to, it does make the story good. And that's what's so annoying is like, it's good. I'm enjoying it. I love Final Fantasy 15. I'm like deep into this game now what i mentioned earlier about this play order is like you play until chapter seven they added a bunch of dlc to this game after the fact if you if you get final fantasy 15 there's a thing called the royal edition now that you can buy that adds all this dlc which are like single player single character focused missions that you can play as each of the four guys in the car and one of them for gladiolus one of them for prompto one of them for ignis uh and then there's like another one that kind of like wraps up everything but the whole idea is that you're supposed to play the game until chapter seven when gladiolus leaves the party for a little bit and then you play his dlc to learn about what he's doing while he's gone and if you don't play that dlc he just leaves and then comes back later with like really no explanation as to what happened and that's nonsensical the fact that the game even released with that like that said like oh eventually we'll release dlc that'll explain where gladiolus went is wild to me to not have yeah. included that in the game and and i i don't want to be too harsh on it because as you said like this game was in development hell for such a long time i mean yeah. it, it was 13 verses and then it became 15 which means that they made final fantasy 14 borked that and then fixed it in between the time <laughs> That they announced it and when this game came also out. Also 13, 2 and, and uh, right. <laughs> they had like game. 50 yeah. games in between yeah. all of this. Uh, <laughs> it's it's wild to me that that it was released in the form that it was. But I think where it's at now, if you actually engage with it, is like really interesting and cool. And there are, there are things that I absolutely rub up against. I mean, there's one sequence that I'm thinking of that I could not stop laughing at where you need to be running between these 
these runes to unlock a piece of Noctis's like kingly power. But it's at the exact same point in time that the car that you've been traveling around in and road tripping in has been essentially just like stolen from you. So you don't have a car available and they drop you off like in the middle of the world and say like, you're going to need to run between these spaces. And obviously you shouldn't do that because it's so huge. The world is so big and the space between these runes that you need to collect is so vast that there's like it, you really should be driving between them, but you can't. So your only option is to rent chocobos and ride chocobos around. But the vibe of this chapter of the game is so dour and sad and it's raining and cloudy and like really dark. It's supposed to be like a gritty moment. But anytime you ride the chocobo, it plays the chocobo music. So you're just like <laughs> running around going like that, 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 and and the four guys are like quipping back and forth at each other about like how funny it is that they're all riding chocobos in this moment that's supposed to be heavy and like an emotionally impactful bit of the story that like doesn't land at all. And that's the back and forth where like the game itself is actually failing itself. Like those are the moments yeah. where like the mixes of tones isn't working, even in bits like we talk a lot about this in the Final Fantasy VII bonus but like the mix of tones in that game is really effective and and the ways in which it's campy and the ways in which it's serious they give each of those enough time to like exist within those vibes and like give them their due in a way the final fantasy 15 does not it oscillates between all of this shit like completely willy-nilly it has like really yeah. no respect for its own tone at times even outside of like the obvious examples of like needing to watch the movie and having no context for moments and like not even having moments without <laughs> dlc or yeah. other things but like even like smaller scenes like for me where i really fell off the game was like I forgot what chapter it is, and this is not really a spoiler, but, like, again, all the, like, coming-of-age stuff was really working for me. Mm -hmm. And, you know, on a subjective level, I think I prefer that to, like, the politics and fantasy. But, like, yeah. I'm down for both. I think there's a way to really have the two intertwine meaningfully. Me too. Yeah. And I feel like any scene where, like, the political high fantasy came in, it felt like... If like I was watching Freaks and Geeks and then suddenly it was Battlestar Galactica and mm. I was like, what on earth just happened? <laughs> you know, it just having characters come in, they're like, your duty as the king is this. And like it just and then all of a sudden characters are referencing things. Like it, It's just so disjointed is the central word. Like it's a very disjointed game that like, again, I think at this point, you know, I got it for free. I think like getting it on like <laughs> a severe discount yeah. or for free. Uh, if you're a big fan of the series and, and have sort of written it off like it's definitely worth experiencing for what it does well but like it's hard to recommend objectively because of how fragmented it all is yeah and and the game really wants you to be engaging with the open world a lot more than i am also which i i think speaking of disjointedness like there are times in which you know we we i think refer to it as the fallout 4 problem where it's like you know you watch your baby get ripped from your arms and then you go spend a whole bunch of time building up a town instead of going and saving your baby this game suffers from that pretty greatly as well where you know there are like really big plot moments or like your car is missing and you need to go get your car back but also if you want to you could like go monster hunting doesn't make any sense to go do that at that point you know there yeah. are a lot of moments like that and and i found that the more i'm focusing on the main quests instead of doing side quests the more repeated content i'm running into so like I'm, I'm at a point now in the game where i continue to go and like liberate these niflheim bases and i think 
from what I understand, at least, I'm supposed to be doing side content in between those. But because I'm not, I'm just doing the same kind of mission over and over again. Like the main quest is asking me to do the same kind of mission over and over again uh, because I'm not engaging with this other stuff. So there's like pacing issues amongst the main story as well, which is a little bit frustrating. But from what I know of the game, eventually the open world like doesn't go away completely, but like mostly goes away. Like the game becomes more yeah. of a linear ride mm -hmm. um, and closer to like a 13. And I'm actually most interested in that because I've been playing most of the game that way. I think I'm actually more interested in the game just becoming that and leaning into that for me. Yeah, it goes back to what we talk about a lot where like every game doesn't need to be an open world if it doesn't benefit the design. Yeah. And like in the case of 15, like it does and it doesn't because I think like it's weird yeah. in the early chapters, I think doing hunts and like setting up camp will actually give you more moments where like that will endear you to the cast at least yeah. like it was honestly always kind of touching to see prompto like secretly be taking pictures the whole journey right like, i like that even in moments where he like super should not be taking pictures yeah, right he's <laughs> taking a selfie like three people are ko'd by like a behemoth and he's like sup <laughs> um but I, I do think it's kind of powerful that all three of them have hobbies that are independent of the player. Yeah. Like, I mean, some of them, you know, like Ignis can cook. I, I love his cooking animation. It's so funny. It makes yeah. me laugh every time. I've got it. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like grilled cheese. Um, <laughs> the other thing, too, is that I find like the open world is pretty, but the actual cities and stuff are fairly generic, mm. which is kind of a bummer given the series standard. Like, even though I've struggled to get into 13, that setting is wild. And, yeah. Like, beautiful. Beautiful. That game is stunning so cool. to look at. Yeah. So yeah, I, I think uh, I would like to talk more. Maybe like I think doing like a spoiler episode or something about Fifteen could be interesting because there is like a lot to discuss and a lot to enjoy. And like it is like I would say you know the reception is mixed, but I would say people are there are fans of it and there are people who kind of defend it. So like you know it's just a shame. It's it's a frustrating experience because of what we all what we just talked about. Yeah, I I, I think where I'm at currently is I fully acknowledge all of its faults and I will never defend them. Uh, but yeah. at the same time, I don't care about them anymore. Like I, I'm starting to gloss over the stuff that I don't like about it because I'm enjoying the stuff that I'm enjoying so much um, that it's it's all really working for me, uh, which is really surprising, I think. That game's uh, approach at summons is also wild. The summons in that game are like actually yes. awe-inspiring. Horrifying, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Oh my God, the magic system is nonsensical. It, yeah, it, it's, it's not even worth using magic is what I've kind of come to at this point. I think I'm like maybe 15, 20 hours in, something like that. In the early hours, I was like, oh, I kind of like how they're giving weight to like a fire spell being like a bomb basically yeah but yeah eventually even like the battle system which like i initially was really impressed by that starts to sort of become nonsense as well like, yeah it's, it's, fun. it's oversimplified in a way that i didn't really understand when i first started i thought it was a yeah. little bit more nuanced than it was and then i realized well I, I guess just to explain both of those real quick the magic system the way it works is um <laughs> they have like spouts of like fire magic energy that you will find around the open world sometimes and you need to like siphon that off as like a limited resource that you then craft into a fire spell that you can use so that it's, it's like, kind of like eight eight's junction system yeah is similar so it's yeah. super limited right like mat magic is like a super limited resource and you can only use it occasionally and i just found that it's like not worth it especially considering there's like friendly fire on <laughs> so like you can yeah. you can like burn prompto by accident by throwing a fire spell or uh you'll just like hear gladiolus being like if you like use a nice <laughs> spell too close to him which is so silly and then the combat system is is fascinating because because 
the way it works is you are running around this open space and you're hitting enemies with your sword. But at any point, you can also uh, press triangle or the Y button if you're playing on Xbox to warp to a, a space. You can either warp to an enemy and like hit them from long distance or you can like warp to uh, a point in the sky where you can just like kind of hang out for a while and like get a view of the field and then kind of, you know, warp back down and hit enemies. But you can also control Gladiolas and Ignis and Prompto with like, you know, tactical abilities that you can equip on them, which seems cool at first and seems like there's a lot of, I I think, depth there. And then what I realized is that you don't have to be pressing the attack button or timing attacks. You just hold down the attack button. And similarly, if you want to dodge attacks and like warp out of the way of attacks, you just hold down the dodge button. You don't need to be pressing it or timing it or anything. So once I realized that just holding down the buttons does everything automatically for me, I was like, oh, there actually really isn't any nuance to this combat at all. You're like really just kind of going through the motions, which is a little bit of a bummer. I've also found that as long as you have enough healing items, you just live forever. Like there's really really (laughs) no challenge at all to the combat at a certain point. And they... from from what I remember from that video essay, they patched that only in the character episodes. So they put a limit on how many potions you can oh, use really? in the character episodes, but not in the core game. That's so funny. Just add that to the pile. That was very silly. Yeah, but I don't mind it. Still, like with all of this, like I'm still I'm still kind of into the story. I'm in, I'm interested in what's going on. I love the villain. I think the villain is amazing in this game. And I just I, I want to see everything about his deal. Uh, he shows it's funny because the again, speaking to like how bizarre and, and disjointed this stuff is the villain revealing himself to be the villain is like a huge moment in the game that is in the movie, which you're supposed to have seen before you play the game. <laughs> But it's positioned in the game as like, oh, my God, when the four guys like learn who the villain is. But like he shows up in the movie and is clearly the villain in the movie. (laughs) That's so funny. Uh, Wow. It's so weird. It's so weird. And things like that keep happening over and over again. This is making me want to go back to 13 a little bit because I feel like I I played the opening four hours of that game and like really struggled to enjoy it. Yeah, me too. But like. I'm too deep into this series to not have an opinion on it. So I feel like I do want to give it more time because I know a lot of people who really like that game. And, and people like 13 too a lot, right? Yeah, I, I was, I've was. i been more considering like just sort of watching... Uh, I remember when Lightning Returns came out, which I don't think anyone really likes, but maybe I'm wrong. When 13.3 came out, uh, <laughs> there was a a recap of one and two that were purposely done in like a final fantasy six presentation. Whoa. So they basically like just gave the plot beats of that game with that presentation with like sort of a, a super Nintendo version of the music. And it's honestly sick. That's it's really so fun cool. to watch. Yeah. And I mean, if nothing else, 13 soundtrack is one of the best, I think. Mm. Um, it's really, really the battle theme and lightning's theme are especially good. Yeah, we were talking about this, but when you're driving around in 15, you can listen to other Final Fantasy soundtracks while you're driving around, and <laughs> you can daydream about playing a different. <laughs> <laughs> I've been listening to 13. Like the the 13 soundtrack is like the one that I'm always listening to when I'm driving around in 15, which is so silly. Yeah, maybe I I own 13 and 13 too, so maybe I'll I'll get to those eventually. I would love um, for us to just become the defenders of these like weird uh like not not totally failed but just like you know the the uh ugly stepchildren of final fantasy i feel like it's gonna be a struggle for me to like fully do that for 13 or 15 even with what little i've played but i i definitely want to give them another shot and i'm curious about 13 too specifically so we'll see what happens if third i don't think it does but if 13 had an easy mode or like something close to a story mode i would be more interested in it you know yeah, i think eventually yeah. the the combat of that game is the thing that i'm going to be bumping up against i might watch it honestly at this point I might just watch <laughs> maybe the move too. yeah 
Yeah, it's se- it seemingly like resents being a video game anyway. So might as well just watch it. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, anyway, uh, I'm I'm glad you've pushed through. I'm glad you've machete ordered 15 and you've emerged mostly happy for it. It's so weird. Yeah, it's such a weird video game. But I really Who's do like your favorite. It. Who's your favorite character? Oh, uh, I think Ignis at the moment. Ignis is cool. Ignis I, is it's, interesting. It's him or Prompto, and they're really they really are one to one with the Ninja Turtles. So it's not a coincidence yeah. that we like the Michelangelo and Donatello. Yeah, but Noct- Noctis is becoming more interesting the more time goes on. Like, I think early on, he's very detached and aloof and like kind, kind of cloud strife adjacent, I yeah. would say. Yeah, um, similar. But uh, the more the more he's starting to understand the weight of the responsibility that's given to him, the more interesting he's becoming, I, I found. I've also heard that Prompto's mission is is the best one of all the mm. character missions. That's cool. So, yeah, I haven't gotten there yet, but I'm excited about it. I, I always had a soft spot for Prompto. Yeah. Like, he's given it his all. Yeah. He's like the most happy to be in Final Fantasy 15, so I got to root for him. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's funny because that relationship, again, like Gladiolus and Ignis are very much like employees and Prompto is like actually a friend. Um, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so the ways in which Ignis and Gladiolus relate to prompto is very funny to me because it's like oh we weren't hired to protect you you weirdo (laughs) (laughs) so anytime they just let him die on the field i'm like come on guys (laughs) yeah very interesting game it's bizarre it's weird i do think there's a piece of it where like so many of the final fantasy and this is your favorite thing about final fantasy i i think but like so many of those games are about really cool casts of characters that like shouldn't be hanging out in the same room and this is a case where like they all should be so I think it's a little bit less interesting, maybe, to have all yeah. these people hanging out. But uh, now that I know the actual relationships between them, which, again, are not in the game, but are only in the YouTube anime series, um, <laughs> I, I am interested in them hanging out. But if you don't have that context for it, it does seem like four of the same guy are hanging out in a car, you know? You you mentioned, I think, last week that something you think I look for in games is a sense of ensemble, and that's very true, especially for Final Fantasy. Yeah. I remember as a kid, like I would sort of gauge my interest in a game by the cast. Mm. So I remember getting the strategy guide for ten and I was like, Oh yeah. I'm all about look at look at this dude with the with the cool sword and the blue guy. This is great. <laughs> uh and then nine, similar deal. Nine had a wild cast. Even eight, like which I enjoyed and had, like eight kind of has fifteen energy where they're all just sort of in the same class already. Mm. And like they're there aren't really like a ton of distinct personalities there they're all sort of like i don't know like I, I i like eight but i think the cast is definitely not one of the stronger points of that game yeah except for the flashbacks to laguna laguna should have been the main character of that game squall dreams about laguna constantly and you play as laguna <laughs> laguna's story is wild he becomes president it's not it's so bizarre it's not even a spoiler uh <laughs> laguna laguna's great i love laguna that's final fantasy that's final fantasy it starts and ends with laguna yeah we covered a lot on this episode. Yeah, this is a long one. Do you want to wrap up? I think we should. I think we should. Is there anything else on your like goatee backlog that you're like... That I haven't played yet? Yeah. Uh, Case of the Golden Idol is definitely oh, up yeah. there. You were uh, A lot of people have been very enthusiastic about that, and That's I still good. haven't played it. Yeah. Dragon Quest Treasures kind of looms in the distance. It's like a last-minute contender, if it's if it's good. I'm going to get it regardless. I think it'll be fun. Yeah, least. I think me too. Um, yeah. And also, like, not everything, you know, it, it, it can just be fun and not be, like, on the list. Mm-hmm. Right now, I'm mostly in revisiting stuff that I think, like, has a shot. Yeah. Because a lot of the games are ones that I think I should see at least most of, if not all, before I, like, have a firm idea. Yeah. So, not that we have to, like, complete everything, but I just, I want to make sure I'm confident in the order. Uh, mm-hmm. At least to the best of my ability. So, yeah. Yeah. The, on- the only one left on my list is Norco, which I'm going to play this Oh, week. yeah, yeah. Um, Norco's great. And... 
I don't know. We'll see. We'll see about that one. But I, I'm excited about it. Uh, that also just got added to Game Pass recently. So oh, cool. That's where I downloaded it. Yeah, I think that's it for me too. Um, yeah, because because there's Dragon Quest Treasures, and then oh, the, the other game I'm excited about is Final Fantasy VII Crisis Core Reunion, which I don't think counts. So that's that's coming out on the 13th. Oh yeah, that's that's soon. Yeah, that, which that's I'm now like, inexplicably that's, so excited about. That is three days before we record. So like yeah. that might. Uh, sorry, Zach. Sorry, Zach. Yeah, I'm looking at my list here. Yeah, literally written down Dragon Quest Treasures in case of the Golden Idol. I was right on the money. Cool. Well, hey, thank you so much for listening. As you may already know, Into the Cast Online is our hub for everything. Links for our Patreon and our Discord are there. Um, trying to think of anything. Oh, I mean, Game of the Year is on the horizon. We record that soon. Uh, I'm going to be in Jersey for the holidays, so I think we might get to record together which will be fun i mean we'll be together in person definitely for the game of the year episode but we might be able to record one or two more yeah irl which is sick yeah it'll be fun yeah i'm just really looking forward to celebrating the end of the year it's gonna be a lot of fun yeah oh also it, worth mentioning so into the cast on online you can also go find the link to the discord we have a like discord goatee poll um yeah if, if you want to submit your own goatee list for contention um, yeah and we'll share those results on the episode itself yeah uh we have a lot of responses already but if you want to add yours to the list, go for it. Please do. I'm trying to think if there's anything else. We currently have 134 votes in the wow. in the poll. It's crazy. That's cool. It's more than we had all of last year. And this has only been up for like a week or two. Yeah. That's amazing. Pretty Final cool. Final Fantasy 15 uh, <laughs> is eligible for yes. Game of the Year this year. As we all know, um, it's been added back into the new pool of, of 2022 <laughs> video games. So I can't see there. someone just vote like Noctis, Prompto, yeah. Ignis, <laughs> Luna Freya as their top Glaive. five. King's Glaive. Yeah. Okay, cool. Yeah. Into the cast online. Head over there. Um, also, thanks to everybody who's been following our Tumblr, which is like our new home now, uh, social media wise, which has been really fun. Uh, yeah. Thanks to everybody who reached out uh, about Spotify rap stuff. Um, we did learn yeah, that we released more hours of content than 99% of all other podcasts. <laughs> thanks to Spotify Which wrapped. Almost felt like not an insult, but like a warning. It was like, Hey, is everything all right? <laughs> what I'll say this about Spotify wrapped specifically the, the like podcast analytics side of it is there are, as far as I know, I think like four or 5 million podcasts on Spotify and most of them don't release any content. Uh, so there is that like looming, like, okay, Spotify, like, I know you're trying to like, you know, boost us a little bit. You're trying to make us feel good, but I know the dark secret you're hiding. Yeah. Still, there, there were some pretty shocking metrics in there. That there was, was cool. There were still see. some very cool metrics. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so thank yeah. you to everybody who's listening. Okay. Well, that's it. <laughs> Dawn of the third day. Time to go. <laughs> thank you to AJ for, uh, editing this one and everything else that they do. They're so wonderful. Thanks, AJ. You can hire them to make your podcast, uh, sound this good as well. Goodbye. <laughs> Believe in the friends you made along the way in the car that took you from insomnia to the glaive. Mm -hmm. See you later. The regalia. The regalia. Which, which you can you. Uh, you can get a wrap on the car that uh, has little Final Fantasy one pixel art versions of all the characters, which is very silly. That's pretty cool. I like that. It is pretty cool. You yeah. can't get flames on on the car like uh, Guy Fieri style, which is kind of what I'm. Doesn't the car eventually turn into like a little ship?
WGG, the worst garbage, the Omni.